We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer Usaid Koshal. Uh, Usaid, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. It's Thanksgiving week. It's also Bears Packers week. I think this is one of the few times that we get to see both lineups. So a few times, it's like every couple of years, you know, you get the Bears and Packers in Thanksgiving week. The last time it happened was five years ago, year one of the Fox era, and the Bears upset uh, Green Bay on Thursday night football back then. So hoping for a similar result, but albeit not really like don't have high expectations. Yeah, the the, uh, Bears are kind of in an interesting spot here. Uh, You know, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, November 25th. So uh, the day before Thanksgiving, as it turns out. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. We heard earlier today that, you know, Nick Foles, it sounds like he's still dealing with an injury uh, right now. So the signs are pointing to Mitch Trubisky starting once again for the Bears. So uh, that's going to be an interesting storyline to look at. I think it's really the only interesting storyline to look at, uh, to be honest, outside of the Bears win, possibly keeping them in the playoff race. But uh, yeah, it, that's the intriguing thing for me here is looking at this game coming up. I mean, it's Bears-Packers, so anything can happen, but the Packers have definitely had the Bears number. I think I saw like over the last 20 games, the Packers are 17-3 and against the Bears right now, so hasn't been quite the rivalry that you'd like it to be. I think even looking at both sides, I think both fan bases would like, would like this to be a bit more competitive of a, of a rivalry instead of the Bears just getting demolished year after year after year. But 
I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, but at the same time, it's like, it's a national primetime game again. So there's kind of that feeling of uneasiness that the bears might, uh, you know, make a fool of themselves once again on, on primetime, which with this offense, it's not very difficult for them to do. Right. And you, you mentioned Trubisky starting. I really think right now, considering, cause I tweeted this out today, right. And I was like, listen, in the current context of the bears, Trubisky's the better guy to start and he's the better guy to start because he look Foles is the much smarter player but Trubisky's just a better athlete overall Foles may be able to read a defense but Trubisky's mobility can make a pocket that is collapsing at least the mobility is a big factor there at least Mitch can roll out of the pocket and then all of a sudden look for Darnell Mooney or Allen Robinson or Jimmy Graham down the field. And I was watching tape over the weekend. And I remember earlier in the year, weeks one and week two, when we look at some of the touchdowns that this team scored. So week two against the Giants is two notable examples. First play of the game, the Bears march down the field and score. But what happens prior to that? The play that sets the touchdown up as Mitch rolls out of the pocket, finds David Montgomery on the 20-yard line for a score. And then the same game, right before the halftime, pockets collapsing, Trubisky's scrambling around, but he finds Darnell Mooney in the left corner of the end zone for a big touchdown that put the Bears up 17-0. So we've seen time and time again these scenarios of where Mitch's mobility a couple times this year has actually really been an asset for the bears. And as bad as the offensive line has been, there is no way that you can go into green Bay with a partially banged up Nick Foles or whatever Nick Foles situation might be. Cause he's not fully ruled out yet. You have to go into green Bay with Trubisky as your starter. The mobility, like I said, is one reason, but at the same time, the last six, seven, eight weeks that we've seen Nick Foles play, he's absolutely just stunk it up. And you could make the argument that Foles is so bad right now. You might just be better off sticking with Trubisky for the next six weeks. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, you could definitely make a case for that for sure, because when you look at Nick Foles, he was supposed to be brought on. Obviously, he doesn't have the athleticism, the ability to extend plays, you know, go off script that Trubisky does have, although Trubisky, you know, I think he does struggle with pocket presence and, you know, knowing when to extend plays and knowing when to run. That's been an issue for him, I think, over the past few years, especially last season and in the early goings of this year. But with that said, Nick Foles, he was brought in because it was, you know, thought that uh, he could run the offense that Matt Nagy wanted to run and he would be able to do the things that Trubisky was struggling with in terms of making the, the, the shots down the field, getting those deep passes completed, um, being aggressive and actually looking to throw the ball uh, vertically a little bit more, being able to make the reads, make, make the right decisions at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, when you look at it, Nick Foles in many many instances he's making the same type of mistakes that Trubisky is so if he isn't going to be able to do the stuff that if he's making the same mistakes that Trubisky is going to make then you might as well go with the guy that has a little bit more of a ceiling a little bit more of that athletic uh intangibility I I guess you could say uh to be able to make some plays with his feet and he adds some more elements to the offense in terms of what you can do with the read option game and, and some of the things with Trubisky there so uh, I don't know. We'll see how it works out. I I, don't, I still don't have really high expectations because we've seen Trubisky before. He's had his struggles against the Packers in the past. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out on Sunday. Uh, looking ahead to Thanksgiving, before we move on to this today's episode and what we're going to be talking about today, um, I will point out that we do have a pretty interesting slate of games to watch tomorrow when you have the Houston Texans going up against the Detroit Lions. And then 
Washington football team facing the Cowboys. Just real quick, you said, any thoughts going into those two games and what you're going to be looking forward to tomorrow? So I'm looking forward to draft positioning, and here's why. Because you have Detroit and Matthew Stafford's getting older. They have to think about replacing Stafford at some point, too. And I'm not saying it's going to happen in 2021, but those are scenarios you have to entertain because in this league, you don't think year-to-year. It's a very year-to-year league, but you also have to look years down the road, too. Detroit needs to look into placing Matt Stafford. And then you have... Houston, who, by the way, they don't really matter to the Bears, one, because it's a different conference, and number two, they don't have a first-round pick. That first-round pick is going to be with the Miami Dolphins, who are incredibly lucky because they have two first-rounders. But then you look at Dallas and Washington. Now, both of those teams, you realize Dak Prescott may not be back in 2021, and then you have Washington, who's benched Haskins, and they've had their own quarterback issues this year. They started Kyle Allen, then Alex Smith came in and was the best quarterback that they've had, right? Alex Smith was playing essentially on one leg. So right now, when I look at this, these three other NFC teams that are playing, you very quickly realize, okay, Detroit, and then as well as Dallas and Washington, both could potentially look to select quarterbacks in 2021. And so if you're the Bears, a lot of fans are already talking about, well, trade up for a guy like Zach Wilson. What about Trey Lance? These three other teams have been significantly worse than you this year in terms of your win-loss record. And that win-loss record at the end of the day plays into your final draft position. So Chicago has to be watching and hope that Detroit loses so they get the lower draft pick. And then as well as Dallas ends up beating Washington. So Washington kind of falls out of that top five, top 10 range. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really the interesting stuff to look forward to. You know, these teams, they don't really have a lot to play for, these fan bases. What do they have to look forward to? The draft next season, and that comes with a higher draft selection. Uh, So maybe get a franchise quarterback in the case of uh, the Washington football team and potentially the Lions and Cowboys too, because like you said, uh, Lions, you know, Stafford's getting up there in age. I think they've kind of reached uh, their ceiling with him in terms of what they're going to be able to do with him as their franchise quarterback. And then the Cowboys – you know, Dak Prescott's a free agent. I think they'll keep him, but that remains to be seen. Uh, for me, the, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just whatever crap show is going to happen with the Washington and Dallas game because it's the NFC least. That division's been a dumpster fire the entire season. Uh, I'm pretty sure the winner of that division is going to win six or seven games. So just an absolute, you know, travesty of, of a division right now no no team deserves to make the playoffs from there but because of the rules as set up you know unfortunately we're going to have to see one of those teams make it into the playoffs but that's a big game for deciding who wins that division right there and you know like you said you have Alex Smith on Washington uh, he's kind of making his case for a comeback player of the year type of season uh, it's really awesome to see him back on the football field after that horrific injury he had a couple years ago and then Dallas, they have Andy Dalton out there, so he's trying to make a name for himself and get himself another decent contract next season as a backup quarterback. So uh, I think it's going to be a interesting day of football, to say the least. I'm not sure if the entertainment value is going to be quite there because of the teams involved, um, not being you know the most prestigious teams, um, but we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, so that's a good time to transition to the subject for today's episode, which will center around the quarterback position in next year's draft. So more specifically, we're going to be taking a dive into Kyle Trask's season so far at Florida and where we think he's at right now in terms of his draft positioning going forward into the future. 
And then we'll also take a look at Justin Fields, his latest performance against Indiana. Uh, he had some struggles there, so a lot to talk about and get through there. And then to finish out the podcast, we're going to discuss some of our favorite sleepers at the quarterback position that uh, a lot of Bears fans should be keeping in mind. You know, if the Bears do wind up not being able to select the quarterback early, you know, these are some guys that could be available later on in the draft that the Bears could take a chance on. So we have a lot to talk about today, but before we do that, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, starting with our first subject for today's episode. And that is the question that is, is Kyle Trask a legit franchise quarterback prospect for this upcoming 2021 NFL draft? So when I look at Trask, looking at his profile here, and you know, we'll start with the numbers. Trask, he's thrown for 2,554 yards so far this season, completing 70% of his passage, passes on 10.4 yards per attempt, and he has a really outstanding touchdown-interception ratio, 31 touchdowns to only three interceptions. So Trask, he's been a guy that's been able to put up a lot of big numbers, a lot of huge passing games so far this season. He's doing it in the SEC, so it's the highest level of competition in all college football, a lot of talented defensive prospects out there in that conference. And it just doesn't, doesn't seem to matter for him. He's been able to make it work. And, you know, when you look at some of the things that scouts are going to be looking for in his game, I think the first thing is going to be his size at six foot five, 240 pounds. He's kind of have, he kind of has that ideal build that you're looking for in terms of your traditional pocket passing uh, franchise quarterback that you'd want to have, you know, a guy that's not afraid to stand tall in the pocket he's big he can take a hit here and there um and you know even though the nfl is doing as much as they can to protect quarterbacks i think having that size and ability to absorb hits is important so when you know you look at some of the things that i like about his game just for me personally you know i think trask is a pretty good job does a pretty good job of being a full field reader Uh, he goes through his progressions pretty well doesn't lock onto one side of the field and he seems to have a pretty good sense of where his checkdowns are. Uh, he throws a nice touch in the intermediate parts of the field. So, you know, on, on those throws, 10 to 15 yards over the middle, uh, in-breaking stuff especially, he's he has pretty good touch on those types of passes. And, you know, the aggressiveness is also something that I like as well. He's willing to give his playmakers a chance on 50-50 balls down the sideline. Uh, Kyle Pitts has just made a living this season so far, uh, the tight end for Florida on those 50-50 opportunities, making those crazy jump ball type of catches, uh, just out-muscling defensive backs and linebackers in the passing game. Uh, that's what really is helping helping to propel him as a first-round prospect at tight end. So those are some things to like about for, uh, Trask for me. Uh, you say, how about you? What are some things that you like about Trask's game that you think could translate to the NFL? So it's a lot of the same stuff you mentioned. I really think the NFL size is one of the big things that sticks out because this is someone that time and time again has shown that they can be a good pocket passer at Florida. And I know that 
for a lot of people, I know that the big thing to keep in mind is just the fact that the NFL continues to have more mobile quarterbacks, right? But at the same time, because they do want guys who are going to roll out of the pocket and then be able to create broken down plays and whatnot or create a new play out of a play that's entirely broken down and Trask has shown the ability to do that I think that pocket passing obviously still matters in this league so I really like that about him I like you know you mentioned as well the touch and the aggressiveness is definitely there but I think we have to keep something in mind is that as aggressive as Trask can get sometimes it can also at the NFL level where defenses are clearly much bigger much faster much stronger the aggressiveness is aggressiveness is going to bite him a lot more in this league because there will be consistency issues that he's going to have to clean up. I mean, and then last but not least for me, the big knock on him is the arm strength. It's not necessarily the biggest arm in the world. This isn't a guy that's just going to throw, let's just say he's playing in Chicago next year and Allen Robinson is here. He's not just going to be the type of quarterback that throws the ball up and then gives Allen Robinson a 50-50 chance. No, he's going to be the type of guy where he's going to make his living on those very short to intermediate routes down the field, right? And then have his playmakers do the rest of the work. So Trask's arm, it's not the biggest in the world, but it's not like a complete noodle arm either. He can still hit a lot of necessary throws in space. Yeah, I think that's a good way to transition into some of the things I don't like about his game. And like you said, it starts with the arm strength. So uh, Trask, he, in my mind, he has a pretty average arm, uh, to say the least. You know, at best, I'd say his arm is average. So one of the things that I look at when I'm looking at Trask is, like you said, uh, in the NFL, he's going to have to do a better job, and he's going to have to make a living on those underneath routes. We've seen this with Nick Foles uh, time and time again with the Bears this season. He likes to be a uh, bit of a checkdown artist. And, you know, we've seen that with Kirk Cousins as well at the Vikings. Uh, Derek Carr has had his, you know, uh, phases in his career where he's been a little bit more of a checkdown artist as well. And Trask, that might be the type of path that you're looking forward to him being when he when he's a quarterback in the NFL because uh, his ability to throw the ball down the field is just questionable to me. Um, you know, his passes, when he gets, you know, 15 to 20 yards and beyond that, they have a tendency to flutter at the very end. So they just seem to like die down the velocity. And that leads to him underthrowing a lot of targets. You'll see, like I mentioned this, you know, a little bit when it comes to Nick Foles and Trubisky at different points, but uh, you know, Trask has this tendency to, he'll have a receiver wide open down the field and it should be an easy walking type of touchdown there, but because he's underthrowing it by five to three yards on a pretty consistent basis, you know, that'll lead to a lot of plays where, yeah, he's completing the pass, but he's not taking advantage of the opportunity to its full extent. You know, he's leaving a lot of meat on the bone, so to speak, uh, when it comes to those big plays. And in the NFL, you know, you want to be able to take advantage of those deep passes when they come along and get touchdowns, not just big plays. So those, that is a pretty big uh, concern for me. And then just the velocity uh, just isn't really there for me, especially when you're looking at those underneath type of passes, uh, lots of loopy balls there, lots of floaters. Uh, again, we've seen those with Nick Foles a lot here in Chicago this season. He throws a lot of uh, balls that just don't have the velocity. When you're throwing in the NFL with a lot of tight, tighter windows, that's going to lead to more incompletions because it gives the defensive backs more time, more time to break on the pass, uh, more of an opportunity to make a play on the ball. And again, we saw that in the Minnesota Vikings game. You know, Nick Foles threw a ball to, to Allen Robinson in, in a tight window over the middle of the field where, you know, it was the right decision. It was the right type of throw. He was throwing it on a line, but 
the ball just hung in the air just a, a split second too long, and that led to Harrison Smith uh, making a very nice play, uh, batting down that pass as soon as Allen Robinson got his hands on it, which led to you know a third down incompletion and a punt for the Bears. That's you know having that you know extra bit of velocity, the ability to throw that thing with a little bit more zip, it, it leads to a huge difference in the NFL, and that's something that's going to be very you know, something that he's going to have to work on, I think, if he's going to be a first-round type of talent uh, when it comes to the next offseason. And some of the other things that kind of worry me a bit about Trask's game that kind of keep me a little bit on, on the fence for him, you know, he's not the quickest processor in the world, and that leads to a lot of defensive backs breaking on his passes. And we combine that with his below-average velocity, you know, again, it's not something that he's going to be able to get away with in, in the pros, uh, you know, especially on throws to the sideline. Uh, those are going to be pick sixes in the NFL. We've, and I've seen a lot of instances watching him, watching some of his games that, you know, the defensive back in college, he'll bat it down a lot on those throws to the sideline and hitches and, and comeback routes. You know, in the NFL, no chance. That's getting picked, and you're looking at a touchdown there. So he has to work on either just eliminating that from his game or he has to speed up his process to where he's getting the ball out quicker on time before his receiver is even breaking and that leads to a completion as a result. Um, and then the last thing for me on Trask and some of the negatives there uh, is his mobility. Now, he's not a statue like Nick Foles, so he's not the guy that is just going to be standing in the pocket, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for his guy to get open. He can move around a little bit, but he's definitely below average in that regard. He's not the guy that you ideally want being a, a you know, off-script, play-extension type of quarterback. He's going to have to make his money – uh, being on script, playing within the offense and going through his reads and uh, such and such there. Right. And I just want to add on about Trask. I think just another kind of minor red flag to keep in mind is the starting experience. I think that when we look at, um, well, when we look at Kyle Trask, right, this is someone that did take over halfway through the 2019 season, I think like five or six weeks in. So this is his first true year starting. And I think that Bears fans know all too well about how it goes when you do draft a quarterback that's only got, you know, a year or a year and a half worth of starting experience. Um, so that's just kind of another red flag to keep in mind, just because when we do look at a lot of the other, the franchise caliber quarterbacks in this league, we realize that these are guys that started for multiple years. I think Deshaun in college, right? Deshaun Watson started for, I think, two to three seasons. Mahomes started for about two to three years as well. I think the only cute, there's only two quarterbacks in this class that have three plus years of starting experience. And one of them is Trevor Lawrence, who's going to go to number one overall. The second one is BYU, Zach Wilson. Even Justin Fields, this is his second full year starting. So right now, when I look at both of these quarterbacks, right, or Kyle Trask specifically, we have to keep in mind is that just a year and a half of starting experience is something that we have to continue to keep an eye on because we're not so sure can he kind of translate that to the next level because he's clearly behind some of his other quarterback prospects in this class. Yeah, it makes a lot uh... – you know, more difficult to find clear and obvious holes in his game with little ex little experience because, you know, we saw this again with Mitch Trubisky that because he only had that one year, you know, a lot of the mistakes that he made on a pretty consistent basis in college, you could write that off as well. If he gets more experience and more playing time, we can improve upon that. Whereas when you see a guy for two, three, four years in college, you know, you get, you get a very large sample size of what this guy is good at, what he's not good at, and where he has improved and not improved over the course of his 
career. So with Trask, you know, he took over during the middle of last season as the starter for Florida. This is really his only his first full year as a starter, I believe. So, you know, when we look at his season in retrospect, going from the beginning to the end, you know, we'll get a, a much better idea, I think, of where he started and where he ended up and what progression we saw from him over the course of the season. And that comes with film study, I think, uh, at the end of the season. So let's kind of end this discussion point here on Kyle Trask. Um, I had an interesting player comp, I think, for Trask that I, I'd like to get your opinion on. I kind of compared Trask to a more athletic version of Nick Foles. Uh, what would your thoughts be on that comparison? I think, yeah, it is a fair comparison just because of the limited view. Well, first things first, I suck at player comparison, so you're not going to get a lot from me, especially as we get into draft season. But it does seem like an entirely fair comp just because the thing is, is it's very clear the NFL community right now is so split on trust because you have people on social media that are like, oh, this is a really good player. This is someone that can significantly rise. This is someone that's doing Joe Burrow-like things in the sense that Going into the year, we knew who the top QBs were going to be. Trask was not in that discussion. Trask has risen out of nowhere. Now some people are calling for him to be a late first round, early second round pick, or even a top 15 guy. I really think that looking kind of at the way that Nick Foles slid, I think that when everyone's in the NFL is on the same page, that Kyle Trask is not going to be a like top quarterback prospect in this league. I think your comparison is also kind of fair. Because, yeah, there are some instances where you're like, all right, Nick Foles would do the exact same thing. Yeah, to me, it just comes down to the arm strength and the way he throws the ball. It's, it's very similar in the way they kind of, you know, they, they're accurate, but they, they're still kind of inaccurate, if that makes sense, in terms of, the, you know, they'll throw a catchable ball to where the receiver can make a play on it, but it's not always in the best spot. And uh, they kind of rely on their playmakers to go and actually make plays. So, it's one of those things where, again, uh, again, like you said, he's a very divisive prospect, I think, in the NFL draft community, especially on Twitter. There are some guys that love his potential and some guys that are very questionable on him uh, as a result as well. Uh, for me, I think, I think it's pretty safe to say that at the very least, he's going to be a day two type of talent. I think there are going to be a couple teams that are going to be intrigued by his skill level. If the Bears do end up taking a chance on him, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think they would see him as the answer going forward, especially if he's taken in uh, round two or round three. But uh, he's definitely has some starter upside, and we'll just have to see how he concludes this season and how he improves in the offseason. All right, so moving on to our next quarterback uh, conversation to talk about here. We're going to move on to Justin Fields and his game against Indiana. But before we get into that, we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor. Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier. Someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. We'll always strive to be your advocate today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real, member FDIC. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Moving on from our conversation about Kyle Trask, quarterback over there at Florida, we're going to move on to probably the second biggest name, if not the biggest name, 
quarterback in this upcoming draft is it's really in, the, in this upcoming draft, I should say, and it's really between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, really, when you, when you look at the two top quarterbacks and sticking to Justin Fields, uh, boy, did he struggle this last weekend against Indiana. Uh, Ohio State, you know, they're the number three ranked team in the country at the last that I saw, and they really had their first test of the season going up against a top 10 ranked Indiana team that really has come out of nowhere as one of the better teams in the country so far this season. And, you know, when you look at Ohio state and who they played so far, they really haven't been challenged. And I think that was a big reason that led to Justin Fields having by far his worst game of his college career, at least so far at at Ohio state, Uh, just going over the numbers for fields. He went 18 for 30 in this one for 300 yards. So a solid yards per attempt at 10 yards per attempt there, but uh, this is where it gets uh, pretty rough for Fields. Uh, two touchdowns in this game and three interceptions. Uh, very important to keep in mind. I think Fields, he only had two interceptions, I think, in total for his entire college career going into this game. Uh, it's either two or three, but either way, he's done a very good job of protecting the ball throughout his career. So to see him throw three interceptions uh, in that fashion that he did, uh, was very puzzling to me. And then he also took five sacks in this one as well. Just not a very good game for Fields overall. He still made some very nice plays in this one throughout, especially with his legs and in the second half. Uh, made some really nice plays with his arm as well. Uh, you know, he still showed that there's a reason why he's held to as high of a standard as he is when it comes to being that number two quarterback, presumably in this draft class. But uh you know, there were some red flags for me in this one that I'll get to in a bit, but you said, what are your general takeaways from his performance and what this could mean going forward for the rest of this season? It Obviously, I have some mixed opinions on this one, but overall, just what it boils down to is I really think people are blowing Justin Fields' bad game out of proportion, and they're blowing it out of proportion because everyone's acting like, well, he struggled against – you know, Indiana, and all of a sudden now his draft stock is just going to tank significantly. And to me, it's just like, that's not the way the draft process works, right? We don't judge these quarterbacks based off one bad game. No, we judge them off an entire season, you know? And so right now, when I do look at Justin Fields, like, okay, yeah, it's one bad game. Yeah, he had the couple of interceptions, which obviously you never want to see. But then I think people also have to understand is this is nothing new for Justin Fields because there were times even throughout 2019 where he only had three interceptions the entire year and had 51 total touchdowns. There were times last year that he got out of sync and he tended to struggle too. So I really think that for Fields right now, yes, this is a bit of a red flag because you don't want to see it. But then at the same time, because he needs to continue to get better at the same time though, everyone just kind of acting like the sky is falling down. And she'll say, no, the sky is not falling down. The question now remains is can Justin Fields rebound from this, this upcoming weekend? Yeah. I don't think this game has really impacted his draft stock at all, at least when it comes to the NFL scouts and uh, some of the other guys in in the draft community who are, you know, obviously have that, ability to look at this thing from a overall perspective and not just nitpicking the one game. But, you know, I will say uh, I had my concerns about fields going into this season. Uh, There was a reason why I was a bit lower on him uh, when compared to some other uh, draft scouts and uh, other people that follow the draft and 
like to do write-ups on prospects as well. And some of the issues and concerns I had for him that seemed to go away the first few games this season, he, he, had, he got off to a really awesome start this year in his first four games, I believe it was, where he was making a lot of plays, wasn't making any mistakes really. And that was the one thing that was really impressive is that he was avoiding negative plays at a very consistent level. And those things that kind of concern me last season to where I thought that he got away with some things last year um, that kind of showed themselves in the Clemson game in the, in the college football playoff last season, those started to creep back in again in this game here. You know, like I said, this is the first time he really got challenged all season. And I think it took him about, a, you know, the first half or so, it took him some time to adjust to that boost in level of competition because Indiana you know, they threw a lot of things at Ohio State in this game with their blitz packages and some of the ways they disguise their coverages that I think it really confused Fields in this one. And once he adjusted, he did pretty well in the second half. But boy, that first half was pretty ugly. So, you know, just looking at uh, the interceptions here and what happened on that first interception, this is a classic case where he stared down his wide receiver down the middle of the field in the seam. Uh, and he just made it obvious to the safety from the very beginning of the play that that was where he was going. He was going there the entire way. And you add on top of that, that he underthrew the pass. He, you know, he should have let his receiver vertically down the field in that situation. If he was going to make that throw, it kind of, it's a red flag in the sense that like, did he know the safety was there and he thought he could fit that ball into the window or did he just not see the safety whatsoever, which is even more alarming. You know, it'd be one thing if he thought he could fit that ball into the window there and make that throw but to me I, th I just don't think he saw the safety I think he thought he was doing something else and uh, he just misread the play and that's something to where okay quarterbacks make bad reads all the time or you know occasionally at a very consistent rate we've seen Tom Brady you know Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees some of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL in NFL history in this era of football make in mistakes like that so that's not a huge deal the last two though the second interception, the third interception, those are worrisome because in both cases, those are those are plays where he was trying to extend the play, but instead of just taking the sack like he probably should have in those cases, I thought he panicked a bit and he threw some what I would describe as YOLO passes. <laughs> We've seen Nick Foles throw quite a bit here uh, during his tenure as, as the Bears quarterback. You know, if he would have one of those plays, I'd be, you know, whatever he's trying to make a play, but two, that's not going to fly for me when you're evaluating him in the context of just this game. Um, so those two last two interceptions, not good plays. You don't want to see those type of things. Um, and hopefully he can clean that up the rest of the year. I, th I think he will. Um, that's not a big concern to me, but you know, it's definitely worth noting beyond that though. I, I saw some of the same stuff that had me a bit lower on him in general, though, in terms of the deep ball accuracy, accuracy, uh, there's one play in particular in the first half where he had a guy wide open down the sideline. And if he threw it, you know, if he would have let his wide receiver, like I thought he should have, it would have been an easy touchdown, but he underthrew it by about three or five yards, forced his wide receiver to slow down a bit, got the completion still. So that's all well and good, but you know, I think Ohio state still scored a touchdown on that drive. So, but again, those are the type of things that you look at and you say, okay, you know, when he gets to, when we get to the NFL level, will he be able to make that throw down the field at a consistent rate? Again, we'll see if he can develop that going forward. So, to be fair, you know, it's one game. Indiana's a good team. If he bounces back, I think we'll put this game behind us. You know, put it in the rear view mirror 
as scouts in regards to that. And again, like you said, it's all about the body of work here. One game doesn't define a player's um, draft stock in, in this situation. Yeah. And you know, I totally agree. So I have no idea who Ohio state's even playing this weekend, but I really think that this upcoming game, like I said, it's pivotal for fields because when quarterbacks have bad days, especially when you are a top QB prospect like Fields, you want to see them bounce back. And so that's why I mentioned it earlier when you asked me regarding Fields. And I think I'm going to mention again is how Fields responds over this next game and then also the next couple games because we are winding down here because playoff, you know, conference championship weekends is just approaching very quickly. And then we're going to get into the college football playoffs and whatnot we have to keep in mind is that how fields finishes down the stretch is really going to determine what the scouts and the teams around the league just kind of think of him in the spring in my mind though i'll drop this right now for you guys like my qb2 in this draft is justin fields just because trey lance isn't playing uh zach wilson right has played against some lesser competition his entire career so fields is solidified as qb2 i think that another thing to keep in mind is that can he how much of the gap between fields and lawrence is there and how much of that gap is fields going to close over the next couple weeks yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to be getting back to play. I think he's been out the last couple of weeks due to COVID. So uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, both of these guys, this is their time to determine what their legacy is and what, you know, is going to be on tape for scouts to be really look at going forward here in terms of deciding who is the best quarterback in the draft and who we're taking number one overall. You know, I think it's going to probably be the Jets in, in this scenario here looking at next season's draft, but uh, yeah, this is the critical point in the season because you can understand some sloppy play early on and having a bad game here and there. But like you said, we're getting to the point where it's conference championship season. It's college football playoff season. It's potentially bowl season for some of these guys. These are the big moments where these quarterbacks separate themselves from, okay, this guy is just a good prospect to this guy might be a special prospect that we have to take high in the draft so Justin Fields this is where he puts everything on the line and makes it known that he's a worthy quarterback prospect take worth taking a risk on high in this draft in the top three top five portion of this draft for some of these teams so the next game he's playing I think he's playing Illinois this Saturday so I think he's got a pretty easy opportunity to uh, bounce back here against a lesser team in the Big Ten, comparatively speaking, um, against a team in Illinois that I just don't think matches up very well, even though, you know, I'm an Illinois fan, so so to speak, but um, heads of family that have been there in the past going to college there, so, but, you know, they, they don't have a chance here. Ohio State's going to roll over them. Um, Justin Fields should have a big game, I think, but, you know, for me, it comes down to the college football playoff, because you know, last year he played Clemson and he had some struggles here and there, there in that game as well. You know, can he put it all together there? Because that's really the thing that's going to be the thing to look out for. Because Indiana, they're a good team, but they're not on the level of Alabama, Clemson, even Notre Dame maybe, um, Florida potentially, if, if they kind of sneak their way into the playoff. Those are the teams to look out for in terms of Canfield's rise to the occasion in those situations. 
Yeah, and so, you know, like you mentioned Illinois, right? And obviously, because I'm going to be watching the Illinois-Ohio State game too. And I know for a fact OSU is just going to roll over them. But then big thing to keep in mind is I really want to see Fields show out just because when I can look at the college football playoffs last year, I'm not going to say that Ohio State lost the game because of Fields. But then again, there were some plays in that specific game too where you look at and you're all like, okay, you know what? They're are certain plays that he would like to have back. I think that that obviously goes for any QB, but like for him being a first year starter and then with the delayed start to the season this year, there's a lot of time. And then the kind of like off season, the crazy off season it was in the sense that there's not going to be big 10 football, but then it's like, there is going to be big 10 football and practice the lost practice time. and whatnot. There's still a lot of valuable reps that he lost. So really for him, the defining moments are going to come within the next like six to eight to 10 weeks is can he show up in the college football playoffs? Can he be the guy that elevates Ohio state or is he just going to establish a reputation of playing really good against the bad teams like Illinois, but then struggling against the big teams such as IU or the per se good teams like IU. Absolutely. And those, those are something that scouts are going to have to uh, decipher through when it comes to, uh, evaluating his performance over the past two years and evaluating whether he's the quarterback to take a fly on fire on um, going into being a franchise potential quarterback next season. All right. So we're going to move on to our final uh, topic for today's episode concerning these quarterbacks. Uh, before, before we do that, we're going to take our final break of the show with one final word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, concluding this episode with a quick little conversation on some players that we think can be some very intriguing sleeper prospects at the quarterback position. You know, say the situation where the Bears, they can't pick a quarterback early on in this draft. Maybe they want to take a chance on somebody late on day two or even on day three. You know, you said for you, who's the one guy that you think could be a very intriguing option later on in this draft that Maybe he doesn't have, you know, maybe he hasn't put it all together so far to be a, you know, full stop, legitimate early round prospect to where you can look at him as, and say that, okay, this guy's a starter in the NFL, but somebody that has some intriguing traits to where maybe it might take him a few years, but this guy has talent to maybe develop into something uh, going forward once he gets to the NFL level. So, yeah, my guy and – let me start off with this. I truly believe that whether the Bears, they really need to look into selecting multiple quarterbacks next year just because with the disaster that's been Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, the disaster that the room has been just in Pace's tenure, if Pace is here in 2021, they need to overhaul the room again. And that overhauling starts with not just bringing in NFL guys, but really going ahead and bringing in fresh faces, which is in the form of rookies or developmental guys. Now, my sleeper quarterback is 
Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter because when I look at him, he's six foot four, two fifteen. He's had a pretty good year this year because when you look at just the way that the production has kind of increased in college, I mean, this year he's averaging eight and a half yards per attempt. Right, he's got sixteen. Yeah, 16 touchdowns and uh, six interceptions and 156.6 passer efficiency rating per pro football reference. Now, when I look at Ritter, there is a lot to like there. So there's some mobility to his game, has a pretty nice arm, too, and then is always willing to keep his eyes downfield. I would say that this is someone that, like, if Greg Roman were to theoretically be in Chicago next year, Desmond Ritter would be a perfect fit in um a Greg Roman type offense. So really kind of that Lamar Jackson, like Colin Kaepernick type fit. I'm not saying Ritter is any of those guys. He's a lesser version of both of those guys, but that's what I like about Ritter. Now in terms of just where he could improve, right? I really think that he has to be consistent in terms of place where he's going to place the ball, right? Because when we look at some of the playmakers that the bears have on the roster, you look at a guy like Darnell Mooney, someone like Anthony Miller, both of whom are going to be here next year. Anyway, for the wide receivers, even Riley Ridley, if he gets a chance to jump, to finally get onto the field. And then Cole Komet as well. These are not guys that you're going to throw the ball up to. And then these guys are going to come down with like a 50-50 ball or a 60-40 ball. No, these are all guys that you need to hit them in stride. You need to get them the ball in space because once they go yards after the catch, that's where they have their biggest impact. So Ritter needs to be more consistent with that because he can't just throw the ball. It's like what I mentioned earlier, right, with another, with Kyle Trask, right? You can't just throw the ball up in the NFL and expect these guys to come down with it. You know what I mean? Even Tyree Kill and Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes has to throw the ball in space so that Tyree Kill can at least have a shot at it, right? So that's what Ritter needs to get better at is just the consistency in terms of placing the ball. Yeah, that, that's probably the number one thing for me too. When I when I look at Ritter, you know, I, I've seen a, a couple of games of him already this season, and you know, especially on his deep passing, there are times where he's overthrowing guys and uh, just not being as accurate as you like him to be. And especially, like you said, the Bears receiving core outside of Allen Robinson, they don't really have anybody that can just go up and get it on some of those 50-50 balls, like you said. So, getting someone that can be more pinpoint accurate, if Ritter can develop that. I like what the point you made with uh, Greg Roman. If he were to come here or, or similar offensive mind were to come to Chicago and actually build their offense around a running quarterback, Ritter's kind of that perfect fit for that. Like you said, I mean, he's not athletic as Lamar Jackson. Nobody is. He's a, he's a generational athletic talent, especially at the quarterback position. But uh, Ritter, he does have some very uh, elusive traits to him as a runner. Uh, he can run with some power as well. He's got really nice speed in the open field. There's a lot to like about him as a dual threat type of quarterback. You know, just a lot, I think, to like in terms of if you were a fourth or fifth round type of prospect, definitely worth take a, taking a flyer on, I, I'd say as well. Uh, for me, I kind of have a quarterback that's kind of similar to Ritter in some ways in terms of the build and the, and the size and uh, the athletic traits. And for me, that's Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M. Uh, looking at Mond's season so far, He's completing 64% of his passes, eight yards per attempt, 16 touchdowns to two interceptions. So he's taking care of the ball. He's making big plays with his arm. And that's a lot to like there because he's a guy that can be efficient, I think, uh, if he's playing within structure in an offense. So he was somebody, when I look at Kalamon, that was very intriguing to me last year. And I thought he had the ability to maybe go into the draft last season and maybe be a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Um, 
And, you know, I think the going back to school for one more season to get some more experience was the right move because he appears to be really putting it all together this season. Um, and that's a very positive thing looking at his development. Uh, he's got pretty good mobility, like I mentioned, and above average arm talent. And that's the number one thing I think for me when looking at his traits is that he can really make some special throws down the field. You know, there are a few instances uh, looking back at his game where he just throws a perfect, beautiful deep ball uh, in places where only his wide receiver can get it in the tight windows. Uh, he absolutely has the ability to make some really phenomenal passes when he's, when he's in rhythm in the pocket and, and can, you know, kind of move and step up and in a clean pocket and, and make those types of plays. He has a lot of natural ability throwing the ball and, for me, it, it all comes down to play-to-play -play consistency. He needs to continue to develop a better feel for the game, especially when he goes off script. But he's been developing nicely in that area. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you look at uh, to where you're comfortable with him being a primarily off script, play extension type of quarterback, even though he does have the athletic ability to do that. But if he can continue to work on that, there could be an element to his game that could – uh, be very nice for him in the NFL to complement what he can do inside the pocket as a thrower. Um, you know, he's somebody that I'm excited to watch on tape at the end of this season and really get a, you know, a broader look at what he's done and what he's improved on. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see his stock explode in the pre-draft prospect. Cause like he said, pre-draft process, I should say, because, you know, like I said, he has a lot of natural ability and I think teams are going to re be really enticed by that uh, when they get to see him up close in practices and in meeting rooms. Yeah, Mon's one of those guys that I think right now, if the option was there for the Bears to take him as a developmental prospect, I would certainly be all for it. Just because when I look at the state of the QB room in 2021, you realize, okay, Nick Bowles is going to be here. Tyler Bray should not be here because at this point you're just paying Tyler Bray to hold the clipboard and run the scout team. And then Trubisky's obviously not going to come back unless he somehow magically tears it up and they sign him to an extension. Uh, but I do not think that's going to happen. And I think that this year, my adequate, like my proper draft projection for Kellen Mann would be anywhere from like a late day or late third round pick to potentially a, um, fourth fourth or fifth round guy because I do believe that he does have a lot that teams are going to fall in love with and say okay we can draft this guy as a developmental prospect and then eventually flip him in the future for a couple mid-round picks here and there I would say the one thing that um Mon needs to kind of work on is just being able to play faster sometimes I think that when I do watch him that he just tends to think way too much and is a bit hesitant. So it's like, should I go ahead and should I pull the trigger on this receiver? Or what should I do here? Should I just tuck the ball and run right? He really needs to kind of have um, faster decision-making, has to get that down because at the next level, if you do wait like three or four seconds, because NFL plays right now are like two and a half, three, four, even if you're lucky, five seconds, right? But for the most part, if you don't, are not quick with your decision-making, the defenses are just going to eat you alive. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that last point you made there about quicker decisions, being able to have that feel for the game that I, I kind of described uh, earlier. You know, I kind of described Kellen Mond last season as playing a little bit robotic 
with the way that his play style is, you know, he, he'll go through his progressions and he'll make his reads, but like you said, he's very slow doing it. And there isn't a lot of that natural ability to kind of feel the rush and to be able to naturally maneuver the pocket and have a feel for where everyone is at around him in his surroundings. So those are some things to worry about and why he's not higher, I think, on a lot of boards, on my board especially. But again, you look at some of the throws that he can make, you look at some of the things that he can do with his legs when he puts it all together. Like you said, I, I don't think he's somebody that I look forward to in the first or second round as somebody that could be a starter long-term. But uh, if you can develop in, him into a, a quality backup with some ability to be a spot starter here and there, and like you said, quarterbacks in today's NFL where the quarterback position is as important as it has ever been in terms of the league and where it's going today as a passing league, quarterbacks are currency right now. And like you said, if he develops into something uh, to where he could be a quality backup quarterback, at the end of his contract, he's somebody that you can flip for some additional draft pick currency. So I think those are all good points to point out there for Mond and you know even draft strategy in general quarterback is the quarterback position is such a commodity that you need to heavily invest in that position uh, because like we've seen with the bears once your guy goes down or if a guy that you drafted high doesn't work out and you don't have somebody behind them to develop and uh, be able to replace that production you're kind of screwed and that's where the bears are at right now and, and that's why you know their future is where it is right now where things are looking as murky as they are so i, I think with that I think that's a good time to conclude this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast on that note. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. My work is all listed in my bio. You can check out my work on the Bear Report as well. Yep, and you can find my work on the Bear Report as well. You can check out some of the stuff I've done on there on our YouTube channel as well for the Bear Report. And you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25 and get a sense for what my takes are outside of this podcast as a whole when it comes to the NFL and football and just sports in general. Uh, so we want to thank our listeners once again for tuning into this episode on all platforms. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Stay safe and enjoy the holiday weekend. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.